It, it is good to see each one of you here. If you are a visitor here with us this morning, we want to welcome you to Union Baptist Church. Uh, here at Union Baptist Church, we, we believe that our highest goal in everything that we do is to bring glory to God. And uh, what that means is that as thrilled as we are that you are here with us this morning, we're not actually here for you. We're here to give glory to God. And what that means then is if, if you're here to glorify God this morning, you're in the right place. Um, I will say we, we are, while you're not the, the chief interest or the chief reason that we're here, we are, we are greatly thrilled uh, that, that you are here with us this morning. And in fact, we'd like to get to know more about you. If you are a visitor, you probably received a Connect card on your way in. And uh, if you would, just fill that out and give that at the table on your way out. Uh, and we'd like to get some information about you and get to know you a little bit and how we can serve you. Um, I also want to uh, just welcome, we have Lisa Holland here this morning, uh, who's from CareNet, the Crisis Pregnancy Center in Owensboro. And here in just a few minutes, she's going to come and talk about the ministry there. Uh, and, and it is just such a great ministry, a great work uh, of ministering to those who are in need uh, in, in that way. In, in Owensboro, and uh, she's also going to share with us a way that we can help support that work. We're, we've been talking about giving, and we're going to actually talk about giving today, which is good that these kind of things intersect uh, this morning, but uh, she's going to talk about one of the ways that we can help give so that that ministry can continue to flourish there, and so she'll be here in, in just a minute. Uh, let's open in a word of prayer before we worship the Lord. God, we come to you this morning, and we are grateful, Lord, that you have done a work in our lives. We are grateful that we have been recipients of your grace. Lord, we, we recognize that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Apart from your son, Jesus Christ, we have no hope. But Lord, because of your son, Jesus Christ, we have great hope. And Lord, we recognize as well because of this reality, because we're recipients of the grace that comes to us through Christ and through the gospel, that we should give our lives to glorify you. We, we belong to you. We are not our own, but we have been bought with a price. So help each one of us recognize the ways that we are called to glorify you. We do want to lift up this morning uh, CareNet in Owensboro and, and Lisa. Thank you for the great work that they're doing. We pray that you would help that work to flourish and to grow. Uh, we pray that, the, the, that your people and, and all the churches in, in this community, in this area, uh, would support that ministry, that it might, it might continue to be a viable ministry there. Bless us today, we pray, as, as we worship, as the word is preached, as we sing. We do pray that all of these things would be to your honor and your glory. And it's in Christ's name that we ask these things. Amen. As we pray this morning, we can thank the Lord that Rick is here taking up the offering and he's able to walk. That's an answered prayer. And uh, so that's, that's an amazing thing. It's good to see, see that, Rick. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, this ministry that we've heard about. God, sometimes it's easy for us to shelter ourselves and, and to keep ourselves insulated from some of the realities that are right around us. I, I pray that you would remove our blinders, help us to see the, the need of people uh, that we talk with every day. Uh, Lord, we pray for this ministry. We pray that you would meet every one of their financial needs, that they would have an abundance of volunteers, that they would have 
uh, an abundance of donations, God. We, we pray that you would meet their needs. And uh, Lord, this morning, thank you for this opportunity to, to give and, and to be a part of the, what you're doing in, in our community and all over the world. We pray that we would be impacted by your grace in such a way that we will want to give generously and cheerfully. And so we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. All right, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. And we're continuing our series this morning on, on uh, the teaching of Jesus concerning giving. And uh, this is one of those passages that may not have probably readily jumped out at you. Uh, when you think about Jesus' teaching and, and what Jesus said uh, about giving. Uh, in fact, right here in this particular passage, we actually don't see Jesus saying anything, but we see an example given to us uh, by Christ, and that's what we want to look at this morning. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Soon afterward, he went through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. They provided for them out of their means. We, we see here, this is one of those sections in the Bible, this is just a, a little interlude in the Gospels. When you're reading the Gospels, uh, usually you will have uh, narratives, stories of Jesus healing or some teaching that Jesus does. Uh, and, and then in between those stories, in between those narratives or that teaching and those parables or miracles of, uh, of Christ, we have these little interludes, these little uh, sections that really the, the basic intent of them is just to provide us with a little bit of the setting. Usually it will tell us about where this is taking place and sort of set the scene as far as who is involved uh, in, in these things. And usually for most of us, I think uh, we may be tempted to simply read over these quickly to skim over them in our Bible reading and not give much attention because we want to get to the, to the main part. We want to get to the story that Jesus is going to tell, the parable, or we want to see the miracle that Jesus is going to do. And so uh, oftentimes we read these sections and and there are names of people that we don't really know. And there are places that geographically we just don't understand where that is. And so it really doesn't hold a lot of meaning for us. Uh, but what I would say this morning is if we skim over these sections too quickly, uh, we're going to be tempted to miss some things that are really important. First of all, uh, it would do us some good to just try to figure out some of the names and, and be able to understand who's go what's going on in those stories, where these are taking place, because oftentimes there's significance to those things. But secondly, sometimes the gospel writers will drop in these little sections just some absolute gold in terms of truth. And, and I think we have that here. In fact, when I read uh, the book of Luke, I've read it many times, uh, you know, I don't know that this text has ever stood out to me before. I've been tempted to just read over it, and, and I know I've read it before, uh, but I've never really stopped to contemplate it uh, and to meditate on it. But in preparation for this series of sermons, I was reading some different articles about uh, Jesus and, and, and teaching on, on the issue of giving, uh, and someone highlighted this, and, and it just jumped out at me like never before. And, and I think it's a wonderful text. This, 
This passage shows us, I think it's the main point, this, this passage shows us that gospel ministry, gospel ministry has always been supported through the generosity of those who have been impacted by the radical grace of Jesus Christ. Gospel ministry has always, from the very start, the gospel itself has always been supported by the generosity of people who have been radically impacted by the grace of Jesus Christ. I think that's what we see in this text, and I just want to walk through and note a, a few things here. First of all, I think we could say that this giving was indispensable. It, it was indispensable. Do you ever consider the need that Jesus and the apostles had? Sometimes I think we read stories in the Bible, and, and we don't use our imagination. Uh, you know, we, we don't stop to ask ourselves, you know, for three and a half years, Jesus is traveling from city to city. He's got to eat, right? They've got to have money to travel and, and to supply their needs. Where, where did that come from? Where did Jesus get the need, his needs met? What, what about the 12? Not only was it Jesus, a single individual, but it was the 12 who were traveling with him. There's this whole entourage there of people who are traveling. We remember that it said of Jesus, uh, someone said, I'm, I'm going to come and follow you. And Jesus said to them, look, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. Jesus did not have the means to support himself. When we think about the apostles, they're in the, they're in the same boat. Actually, they weren't in the boat anymore, and that was the problem. But uh, th they left their boats behind. They left behind their means. Nobody laughed. I mean, come on. They left behind their means of support, right? Luke chapter 5, verses 10, we see Jesus calling Peter and James and John, who were fishermen by trade. That's how they supported themselves. And Jesus said, no longer are you going to fish. Come and follow me. And it says in Luke 5, 11, and they left everything. They left everything. They left their resources. They left their means of, of income and followed Christ. The same is true of, of Matthew, who was a tax collector in Luke 5, 27 and 28, Jesus said, come and follow me. And it said, leaving everything, he rose and followed him. They're traveling from city to city for three and a half years with Jesus. They needed to be supported. They needed food. They needed their, their daily needs met. These men were not lazy. They weren't trying to get out of, out of work or being freeloaders, but these were men who realized that the kingdom of God was coming in Jesus Christ. There was something far greater, and they were willing to leave behind these resources that they had in order to go and preach the gospel with Christ. But then consider not only the need, but consider this morning the, God's provision. In verse 3, we, we see it there. There are these women at the end of verse 2, Mary Magdalene, uh, she had seven demons, demons cast out of her. There's jo Joanna, the wife of Chusa. Uh, there's Susanna and many others and many others who provided for them out of their means. Now, if you've read the Gospels, I knew that there were women. There was a group of women who were often with Christ uh, and who would serve him. But the, the unique thing here, this word uh, it provided for them, it is the word service. They, they served Jesus. Uh, but, but what the interesting thing here, the unique thing here, is that they served Jesus out of their own means. Not only were they cooking and caring for uh, the basic needs of Christ and his apostles and his disciples, but they were doing it out of their means. They were the one who was providing the support that was needed for Christ to be able to go and to preach 
the gospel. This was a hybrid then, not just of, of service, but a hybrid of financial support and service. Their giving, the, the giving was the necessary means through which Christ ministered. You know, in a, from a human standpoint, their giving and their service is what made Christ's ministry a practical reality. We, we understand that God is sovereign. We understand that, that God is not dependent on, on anyone. We, we know it from the books of, of Acts, God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. God, God can provide for himself. God is not dependent on anything. And yet in human terms, that God often, most often, and ordinarily uses human means. And in this case, he used the human means of these women giving of their possessions and giving of their time and generously serving Christ in order to make Christ's ministry and the ministry of the apostles a practical reality. God works his plan in this world, but ordinarily he does so through human means. You know, God could have sent angels to care for Christ and the apostles. He could have miraculously made water come out of the rock. He did that in the Old Testament. He could have sent manna from heaven. He could have had birds bring food to Jesus and the apostles as he did with Elijah. God could have done all of those things, and yet that's not the way that God ordained for his son, for the Messiah, to be cared for. He ordained that these women would generously give of their own resources and serve in order to uh, provide for the needs of Christ and the apostles. And what I think we should see here is that the same is true in our day. In, in God's plan for the advance of the gospel, the ordinary means of people going and people supporting them, people sending them to go, are indispensable. Yes, God, God could send angels or, or visions and dreams to people all over the world. Uh, God, God could spread the gospel. God could spread his kingdom through those means. But that is not the means that he has chosen to spread the gospel message. The, the means that he has chosen is pastors and missionaries and people going to preach the gospel, people going to serve in places, and, and other people who are willing to support them in order that they may go. That is the ordinary, the usual means that God uses to spread and to advance the gospel. It was true in, in Christ's life. It was true of the apostles and the early church, and it has been true for 2,000 years now. The way that the gospel has advanced in this time has always been through these means. In fact, this is the logic of, of Romans 10, and it's airtight. No one's going to believe the gospel unless they first hear the gospel. And no one's going to hear the gospel unless someone goes and preaches to them. But that's not where it ends, is it? No one's going to go preach the gospel unless they are sent. Sent by God and sent by the church, sent by the people of God. There's an act of God in that, I think, and an act uh, of human provision in that as well. Missionaries are not going to go around the world and be able to preach the gospel unless we give, unless we support them. Pastors will not be able to go forth and preach the gospel and continue to do the work of ministry unless uh, the provision is made. And so this is God's ordinary means for providing it was for Christ was for the apostles and it has been for 2,000 years it's indispensable secondly this giving was humble this giving was done in, in secret it really was not for publicity 
In fact, as we look down the list of names here, there's one name that jumps out, and we know about this much about her, Mary Magdalene. You've probably heard that name before, uh, and, and she was, seems to be well-known in, in the early church, uh, but, but we really don't know much about her. Uh, there are several places that she's mentioned. We know very little about her. And then going from there, it only gets more scant as far as the information that we know. Joanna, it says, is the wife of Chusa, who was the, the uh, uh, household manager of Herod. Herod was uh, sort of the ruler over this area. And, and so this was probably somebody of a little bit of prominence, or at least the wife of somebody who was prominent. Uh, but then Susanna, this is the only place that she's mentioned. We, we know nothing else about her. There's no description that's given of her. And then there are the nameless many other people. There are many other people. We don't know who they are. We don't know where they were from. We don't know how much they get, gave, how much they serve. The, the, the gospel ministry was supported. The, the ministry of Christ was supported by these nameless people who are really forgotten by all but, but God in this world. And that's the way giving so often is. In fact, that's the way Jesus said giving really ought to be. When you give, don't sound a trumpet. Don't let everybody know what you're giving. Don't make a public proclamation about the fact that you are giving. Let it be done in secret so that your father who sees in secret will reward you. And we talked about that last week. You see, these, these women were, are really forgotten uh, they had no great reward in this life, but you can be sure of this, that they will be remembered throughout all of eternity as the ones who ministered to the Lord, as those who selflessly and sacrificially provided for the needs of Christ that he might be able to minister to the lost. Giving is humble in that way. Jesus promised that our reward would be great in heaven, and that's where we need to look. You know, Jesus also taught that the least in the kingdom of heaven will be the greatest. You know, we're going to get to heaven, and, and there are going to be some people there that we've never read about in church history. Nobody's ever written a biography about them. Uh, they, they, they didn't write any books in the Bible. They didn't start any churches. Uh, they, they weren't the, the ones who got a lot of fanfare on, in this life. But Jesus said, in the kingdom of heaven, the least will be the greatest. There are going to be some people who are greatest in the kingdom of heaven that you've never heard about, who have generously, sacrificially given for years and years so that the gospel could go forth. And they will be great in the kingdom of heaven. God will remember them. God will reward them openly, as we talked about last week. Thirdly, we see that this giving was a radical response to the radical grace of Jesus. It was a radical response to the radical grace of Jesus. I think the context in, in chapter 7 kind of helps us to understand uh, what, what's going on here. In Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, this is the, the incident where Jesus is invited into the house of a Pharisee uh, to have dinner. Uh, and when he's there, this woman who probably was a prostitute comes in to, to where they're eating at. And uh, she brings this expensive ointment and she breaks it open and she begins to wash the feet of Jesus. And the Pharisee is just astonished. And he's saying in his mind, if, if Jesus knew who this woman was, if he, if, she, if he knew her reputation, if he knew the kinds of things that she had done, he would tell her, like, get away from me. In their mindset, to, to touch someone, that this was 
to sort of transfer this kind of uncleanness. And here you had this vile, wicked woman in their mindset. Uh, and, and just by her touching Jesus was making Jesus unclean. And so the Pharisees thinking if, if, if Jesus knew, if he was really a prophet, he would know what this woman was really like. And he would have nothing to do with this whole incident. If he knew what sort of woman this was. Jesus, in response to that, told a, a parable of two debtors. One of them owed 50 denarii, the other 500. And he said both of them were forgiven the debt that they owed. And he asked the Pharisee, who do you think loved the, loved the man more? The one who had 50 denarii forgiven or the one who had 500? And the guy's like, well, that's a simple question, right? A very easy to understand story. And he said, obviously, the one who had been forgiven more would love more. And he said, you're exactly right. And so we see in verse 44 of chapter 7, then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Jesus is saying the reason she's responding like this is because she's come understood the grace of God in her life. She has experienced God's grace. And, and this act of devotion is just her pouring that out. She's astonished that God would love someone like her. She's blown away by the grace of God in her life. And because of that, she is responding in this radical kind of way. Well, I think these women that we see here, it's, it's the same principle that's going on. These women are women who have experienced the grace of Jesus Christ in such a profound way that they're willing, just like the apostles, to leave things behind and to use their resources in order to provide for Christ. We see in verse 2 that these women, some of them had, uh, it says that some of the women have been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary Magdalene had seven demons that were cast out of her. So we had these, these women who were formerly sick in various ways and demon-possessed who had been delivered by the grace of Jesus Christ. And now, because they've been delivered in this radical way, they're willing to give. They're willing to help Christ. They're willing to support financially and through their service the ministry that Christ is doing. That's what New Testament giving actually is. It's not our response to a law that says, you must give this certain amount, right? That's, that's not the way the New Testament uh, kind of frames giving. Giving in the New Testament is framed like this. Jesus Christ has saved you. He has redeemed you. He has delivered you from eternal condemnation. And he has poured out all of God's blessings in your life. How could you not give in response to that? That's what these women are doing. They had a big view of what Jesus had done for them, and so their response was big. This was just part of their devotion of Christ, and I don't want to go into too much detail, but we see these same women again and again. In Luke 23, we see them at the cross. They're there following Jesus to the cross. At the tomb in Luke 24, they're there as well. They're one of the first ones who come to the tomb. Luke 24 10 now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other with women with them 
who told these things to the apostles. They're, they're the ones that are so devoted. They're there at the cross. They're the first ones there at the tomb. They want to be Christ. Uh, they want to be near Christ. They're devoted to him. And even in the early church in the book of Acts, in chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, they are there with the apostles in the upper room praying and devoting themselves to the word and to the, to the apostles' doctrine. They are right there hand in hand because they are devoted to Jesus Christ. And this giving and this service is just a small token of that devotion to Jesus Christ. And I think that's what we need to understand about the kind of giving that we're called to. In the New Testament, our obedience is always fueled by the grace of Jesus Christ. It's always fueled by the grace of Jesus Christ. If you get that backwards, you're going to have, you're going to have everything twisted in your mind. If you're thinking, I'm going to give so that I can get God's favor, I'm going to give or I'm going to do any kind of obedience so that I can make God love me or so I can make God bless me, you've got it totally backwards. The, the New Testament always says this, you have been blessed, you have received grace, therefore give. That's why Paul in Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He's saying, remember the mercies of God that I've been teaching you in Romans 1 through 11, all the things, all the justification, no more condemnation, all the blessings that you have in Christ, the spirit that's been given to you. I'm appealing to you on the basis of that, that you now present your lives as living sacrifices. That's our motivation for all that we do. And that is our motivation for giving in the New Testament as well. In terms of giving then, the more we understand and appreciate what Christ gave for us, the more we will be willing to give generously. In fact, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul teaches in, in 1 Corinthians 8 when he went in one of the key passages that Paul deals with giving. This is what he says, 2 Corinthians 8, 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness and in love for you, See that you excel in this act of grace also, talking about the act of giving. Notice what he says here. Have you ever heard a preacher say this? Probably not. I say this not as a command. I'm not telling you to give as a command. And you got all the legalists saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute now. you got to give them some commands. People won't do what they're supposed to do unless you beat them over the head with the law, unless you tell them this is a command, right? Paul says, look, I want you to give, Corinthians, and, and I want you to excel in this grace of giving, but I'm saying this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Do you have genuine love? Love for Christ, love for others, those are the two greatest commands. Do you have that kind of love, the kind of love that is indicative of a real relationship with the Lord? Do you have that kind of love? Well, prove it then. He, said, he goes on to say in that passage, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see his, his line of argument there? I, I'm not going to command you to give. I'm not going to twist your arm. I'm not going to beg you and plead with you to please give and support this, those in need. No, no, this is what I'm going to do. I, I want you to prove your love, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know You've experienced this, just like this, these women in, in this passage. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, 
might become rich. He's saying, Corinthians, you've experienced this. You know what Christ has done for you. You know what he gave up. You know what he sacrificed so that when you were impoverished in your sin and in your wickedness, he was willing to become impoverished for you so that he could lift you out of that. And if you've experienced that grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, if that's something that's real in your life, if that's not just a story that you tell people, if that's not just something you say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus Christ. No, no, if you really believe that, how could you not then be generous? How could then you not give as Christ has given? 2 Corinthians 9, 7, the same thing. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart. He doesn't beat them over the head and say, you've got to give this certain amount. This is the law. This is what's commanded. No, each one of you must give as you've decided in your own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. You know, you, there's, no, there's no compulsion here. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. How can you be a cheerful giver? You can be a cheerful giver when you're radically impacted by the grace of Jesus Christ. You think these ladies, as they're serving Christ, do you think they're do, doing that grudgingly? Do you think they're doing that like, oh, can't believe I'm cooking another meal. Oh, we don't have any food. I've got to go to the market. I guess I'm going to be the one that picks up the tab one more time to buy the food that we need to feed these guys. Man, they eat a lot. I can't believe that I've got to be the one to buy this. No, they're not doing that, right? They're not doing that because they've been impacted by the grace of Jesus Christ. He, he healed me. He saved me. He's delivered me. I was possessed by demons. I was sick, and, and he's changed my life, and, and I'll do whatever he needs. I, I, I'll provide whatever he needs. I'll give generously. There's no grudging going on here. The Lord loves a cheerful giver, and the person who is a cheerful giver is the person who has radically experienced the grace of God. So your giving, I think, will be dependent on how well you understand and appreciate what Christ has done for you. The more radical you see that, the more radically generous you will be. What has happened to us spiritually will motivate what we do financially. If generous financial giving, giving is unimaginable to you this morning, if you just think, man, I, you know, I hear people giving tithing, giving 10% or just giving away all this money. That, that blows me away. I just can't even imagine. I, I don't have that much money. I can't give like that. I can't even imagine giving in that way. If, if that's unimaginable to you, I think you need to reevaluate if you have experienced and rightly understood the grace of Jesus Christ. If you understand it, then, then that giving doesn't seem so foreign. There are other points that we can make here. There, this giving was surprising. These are women that, that are giving. These are not usually the people who have a lot of financial resources to give away. Uh, but, but they're the ones who are giving. The, the, the giving was distributed. It's, it is among many. That's not falling just on one or two uh, or a few. But there are many who are sharing the load. And it was according to their means. It was proportional. There were some, perhaps like the wife of Chusa, who's able to give much. There are others, perhaps, who were not able to give much, but they were all giving according to their, their means. What I want us to see then this morning is that this giving provides a pattern, I think, for all future gospel ministry. It's, it's a pattern for us. When Jesus, in Luke chapter 10, just a couple chapters later, when he sends out the 72 in Luke 10 and, and tells them how they are supposed to do their ministry, he says to them things like, carry no money bag. Don't take 
a knapsack and sandals and just, just go. And, and he says, whoever receives you basically will, will care for you. Remain in their house, eating and drinking what they shall provide. For, he says this in, in Luke 10, the laborer deserves his wages. So Jesus has, has done it this way. He's gone out preaching the gospel. People who have been recipients of his grace then are providing for him. And now he's sending out his disciples to say, you go now preach the gospel. And he tells them, you, you follow this same pattern. Don't take money with you. Don't take provision with you. Go and preach the gospel. Those who receive the gospel will welcome you into their homes. They will give you food. They will provide for you. Receive it because he says the laborer deserves his wages. What we see then as we move on into the New Testament is that Paul picks up this same saying of Jesus, that the laborer deserves his wages. And Paul implements that not only in the ministry of, of the apostles, but, but also in the local churches. So in 1 Corinthians 9, 14, here Paul is, is talking about providing for those who are doing the work of ministry. And he says, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Those who are doing the work of ministry should be provided for so that they will continue to be able to do the work of ministry. Paul teaches this in, in Timothy as well as he writes to Timothy and he's telling him how Timothy is going to structure the church, how he's going to work this out. And he says this, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. That's from the Old Testament. And he's just making the argument, preachers are like ox. They need to eat like ox, oxen need to eat. Again, no laughs. But uh, don't, don't, don't muzzle the ox. The, the, if the ox is working for you and he's treading the grain, you ought to feed him, right? That's just a principle. You ought to care for an animal. If you ought to care for an animal, you ought to care for a pastor, right? You ought to care for ministry workers, right? That, that's what he's saying here. And so uh, that's, that's the one argument. But then he, he again cites the words of Christ. And the laborer deserves his wages. This verifies that, that Paul saw these words of Jesus in Luke 12, or in Luke 10, rather. He saw these words as providing a principle and a pattern that churches would continue to follow. And so you can trace the argument. Jesus was supported in this way. Jesus told his disciples, this is how you are to be supported. This is how you are to go about ministry. Paul picks that up. He implements that same teaching in his own ministry and in the ministry of the local churches that he is is talking to and, and teaching. You know, as we look at church history, I think we see the same thing. The, the gospel has advanced. Gospel ministry has gone forth. And for 2,000 years, the, the way, the, the, the practical means, the ordinary means that God has used to send the gospel forth has always been the generosity of God's people who, who have received the ministry. They've benefited from the gospel ministry. And then in response to this grace, they are willing to give and to support those who would do the work of ministry. You, you think about the great missionaries and, and preachers of history. And as I said before, these are the people that get biographies written about them. The, the missionaries and pastors like Spurgeon and William Carey and Jim Elliott and Hudson Taylor and Adoniram Judson. And we know those names, at least many of us who have read a little bit of church history. And we've, we've heard of some of the great ministries they've, they've done. But the people you've never heard about 
uh, are people in little churches like this who supported men like that who were able to preach the gospel and to carry the, the message of Christ forward. And, and what we need to understand is that that is God's ordinary means that he has always used to, to bring about ministry and to move it forward. They would have been unable to do what they did. Those great men that we just mentioned, they would have been unable to do the work that they were do, doing without humble people in small churches who had been radically impacted by the grace of God and who are willing because of that to generously give to these various works. Think about our own context as we bring this to a conclusion this morning. How did you come to hear the gospel? How is this church, maybe you've been impacted by the ministry of, of this church, how is this church here and other churches in this county? Well, well the man of God who proclaimed the gospel to you, how, how did he get here? Well, the, the answer to all of those things is that faithful people in the past have supported gospel ministry. The reason that this church has been here for, for well over 100 years is because of the faithful generosity of generations previous. The reason that, that ministries like CareNet and, and the missionaries that we support, the reason that they are able to go and to do the things that they're able to do is because of the, the gener generosity of God's people. So the question I think we've got to contemplate is whether the gospel will continue to go forth. You see, it's, it's one thing to look back and say, oh, isn't it wonderful that these brothers and sisters in the past were so faithful and we here stand as recipients to their faithfulness. The, the gospel ministry in Hancock County continues because brothers and sisters in generations past have been faithful. But, but the question I think we need to ask ourselves is what will the future look like? What, what will the future look like? Will gospel ministry still continue to be going forward? From this church, from, from people like Josh in Malawi. I just looked on Facebook this morning. I, I think I am addicted slightly. Uh, I find myself pulling it out all the time and looking at it uh, quickly. And Bonnie drives her crazy. But I looked at Facebook this morning. And Josh in Malawi that we support is saying, hey, we baptized 10 people. Guess what? He's doing that because generous, faithful people here. Who, who were willing to give, and people in other churches just like ours who are willing to sacrifice because they understand what Christ has done for them. And they want that gospel message to go all the way to Malawi. And that's what's happening in Malawi this morning as a result of your generosity. Josh and, and Barry Corder and Jerry in, in China and Mark Phillips and, and many others. Will people like that continue to be able to go forth? Will ministries like CareNet what a, what a wonderful thing to hear about the work that God is doing through that ministry. That ministry is dependent on people who have been radically impacted by the grace of Jesus Christ and who want to see that grace extend to others. And it's, it's dependent on their generosity. It's dependent on your generosity, in a sense. And so will we continue to be faithful in this area? From, from a human standpoint, the answer to all those questions is those people will serve, missionaries will go forth, if we are faithful to generously give. And I think the bigger question for me uh, this morning as I contemplate this is, is have I really and have you really come into contact with, with the grace of Jesus Christ? Have you really understood what Christ has done for you? Do, do you believe that? Uh, is that? Has Christ really made a difference in your life? Have you been a recipient of his grace? And if you have, then, and you really understand that, I think you're going to be a generous giver. 
Let's pray this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we, we come to you and we ask, Lord, for your grace. We, we pray that you would help us to understand. There, there are many, perhaps, here this morning um, who really, their, their view of the gospel and their view of what Christ has done really is not that great. I just pray that you would, that you would elevate that in their mind, that they would come to have a clearer view of just how sinful, just how broken, just how lost they were and what it is Christ has done for them. And uh, God, I pray for all of us that we would grow in an awareness of that. I pray for us uh, that you would make us generous givers, Lord. We've been preaching this series and uh, we're doing it for a reason because there, there's a lack of generosity. We pray that you would move in the hearts of your people to make us generous givers. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.